50 minutes, where two therapists talk more than they listen. I'm your host, Dr. Tamara Sills. Hey everyone, welcome to This Hour Has 50 Minutes. First, I want to say thank you to all of you who've reached out telling me how much you've been missing the podcast. I truly appreciate your messages. Rest assured, the podcast will be back soon with all new episodes. I had alluded previously to some exciting news, and I'll be able to share that with you in just a couple of weeks. So for now, sit back and relax and listen to one of my favorite episodes from season one, episode 12, Earning What You're Worth with Tiffany McLean. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can be among the first to know when I share the good news. Enjoy. If you're a therapist in private practice or are considering private practice, you're going to want to hear this episode. I talked to Tiffany McLean about therapists earning what they're worth. Now, if this podcast is worth anything to you, please go and rate it and review it so that more people can hear it. Tiffany McLean is a therapist and consultant whose mantra is, full fees are the new black. Through her program, the Lean In and Make Bank Academy, she helps therapists in private practice overcome their shame about making bank so they can help the clients they are truly passionate about serving without sacrificing their own well-being. She's been featured in a ton of places, Psychology Today magazine, Psych Central, Huffington Post, to name just a few. I loved this conversation with Tiffany, and we got into all kinds of things, including how to charge what you're worth and what gets in the way of charging premium fees. Tiffany shares what kinds of disservices may be happening clinically when we shy away from the fee elephant in the room, and whether serving the community and supporting movements such as Black Lives Matter and being anti-racist is best done by things like sliding our fees or pro bono work. And you don't want to miss the segment in which I talked about an episode of Tiffany's podcast where I was blown away by an intervention by a clinician. And I would love to hear from you, the listeners, about whether you've done something like that in session or whether you would have had the clinical strength and courage to bring that up in session. So let's get one step closer to earning what you're worth. Tiffany, honestly, I've been super excited to have this conversation with you. I like to talk about money. I know maybe that's a strange thing amongst the therapists, (laughs) but I want to dive right in. So can we start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and particularly what you do in relation to this topic of helping therapists earn what they're worth? Absolutely. Um, About myself, I'm going to probably skip myself and go straight to talking about what I do because they're so tied up together. Uh, (laughs) But I am a therapist in private practice in San Francisco, and we have a flagship program where we help therapists make bank, we say, while continuing to work with the clients that they're passionate about serving by really helping them understand the 
um, their own conflicted relationship with money, start working that out. We have a very specific framework to walk folks through what's happening for them, really, when it comes to understanding why they're so uncomfortable with money, why they're so uncomfortable charging for the services they're doing as therapists. And after we've started working with a therapist around what's happening for them, we can then start helping them think clinically. What is happening around relating to money clinically? Yeah. Well, when we have sliding scales, when we've been on insurance, when we've been uh, working for a group practice and start paying attention to how uh, working with money inside of ourselves and then within the therapeutic relationship can actually be a clinical intervention. That's great. That's such a, a great intro. And we're going to talk about your program, Lean In and Make Bank, because there's so much value in, in that. And, I, and I've loved everything that I keep reading and, and hearing about what you put out there. Let's start with a description of the typical relationship that you find therapists have with money and with fees more generally. Oh, sure. Holy moly. (laughs) Uh, To say it's fraught is an understatement. (laughs) Uh, Therapists are so, and there's a lot of reasons for this, and I'm sure we'll get into research backing this up. There's a context for why we are this way, but we tend to be highly anxious, um, very avoidant, Guilty, guilty, worry about being greedy. There's envy that comes up. Just I'll put all of those emotions within the the overarching emotion of just so much anxiety and Mm -hmm. fear. And that leads therapists to feel like, I don't even want to look at it. I don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Right. So they just avoid and don't get good at it and find themselves under-earning, undervaluing themselves and in a pretty, pretty crappy position overall. Absolutely, yes. Do you know of any therapists that you've worked with who've had training in this money side of psychology and therapy? That's a great question. Uh, I have, I've never met a therapist who in grad school or their postgraduate education who actually got any kind of, nobody's even talking about how to set fees. What are you doing? What does it mean? And I think it's because our forebearers, uh, the, the, seasoned professionals beyond us, they also didn't get training in it. So everybody's just flying blind and not wanting to touch it. Right. Well, that's right. I mean, I, that was my sense of the answer to that question, but it's so sad. I mean, it's such a fundamental part of what many of us do. And yet there's nothing, nada, not unlike not a single word about fees, at least in my experience or in any of my training. That's what I was going to ask if you in your grad school or any training had ever had any, any therapists or any uh, no. psych- professors talking about money. No, not at all. And in fact, here in Canada, we don't have to deal with the insurance uh-huh. panel situation. So that's good um, in, in some ways. But So we don't have that issue. But nevertheless, there's no training on how to set fees, how to sure. adjust fees, how to talk to clients about fees. There, there might be some little kernel of information about like holding up a cancellation policy. But even sure. then, I don't yes. even think, I can't even think of that in the context of my actual training, more in conversation and consultation with fellow therapists, but not in my training formally. Absolutely. I see the same thing and I hear the same thing from therapists I talk to. Yeah. (laughs) So sad. As we said, you help people lean in and make bank. You talked about some of these emotional um, barriers that get in way, the guilt, the anxiety, the avoidance. What are people's biggest fears that you've seen around charging higher rates, talking about rates? What's at this root of this anxiety? Sure. There are uh, 
uh, it branches off and it looks like, uh, it looks like a lot of different things. Uh, but I think in what I've seen at the core, actually you had a guest on recently. I don't know when this podcast is going out, but she spoke about imposter syndrome. Yes. And really thinking right. about when therapists imagine charging pr- premium fees, and this is what we work on in our program, premium fees, cash pay, often therapists are terrified that nobody is going to pay them premium fees, that they're not worth it. What are they really offering to their clients? And even though it takes forms like, you know, I'm here to help people. I don't want to be greedy. Uh, I want to really give back. Even though we talk about all those things, at the end of the day, it really comes down to therapists feeling like nobody is ever going to pay me that money. And I work specifically with women, people of color, people who come from working class backgrounds. So then you have all of that added on top. Who's going to pay me? I don't deserve it is what's at the core of this fear around charging more. Right. And this who's going to pay that is such a, I mean, I've seen it in clinicians that I work with and some that I've supervised and of course in myself too at at various times. And what my experience has been is that every single time I've raised my fees, I've fretted over it for X amount of time prior. And then I've set the fee. I've worked it out in my head. Should it be that? Should it be a little bit lower, a little bit higher? I fretted, fretted, fretted. I send out my notification. I talk to my clients about it and no one ever says a word. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Isn't that interesting? How much of it is within our own heads or our own psyches and all of that stuff we're doing inside is undoubtedly having an impact on the therapeutic relationship. Yeah. If we if we haven't worked it out within ourselves, and certainly uh, we're missing things with our clients and what, what they're struggling with in their own lives as well. Well, exactly. And that reminds me, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place because there's so much here, sure. but it reminds me of one of your conversations where you talked about what a disservice is happening when we don't talk to our clients about our fees or or if we're giving reduced fees like having these conversations with clients not just sending an email like okay this is your reduced fee and we never actually bring it up in person absolutely that was something that um it was something i felt and i'd seen it with my students but i i wasn't able to articulate it until recently on a podcast. And this is why I love uh, doing podcasts because I get to talk with you and it helps me articulate what I've seen more clearly. And so one of the things I hear therapists say and that therapists do so often is uh, slide their scales and they feel good about it. Ah, I've slid my scale Uh, or they feel resentful about it. Whatever the feelings are, they're not talking about it. They're not talking about why. So then you have this situation where this client knows that they're getting a deal, let's say, uh, they know that this therapist broke a boundary for them and nobody's talking about it. So it leads the therapist, you know, there are all kinds of different um, ways this could take shape, but it could be, look at this nice uh, benevolent therapist doing this service for this poor, broken down client who needs my help. Like, even if we stop right there, There are so many enactments present within that. And if we're not talking about it, that's a huge problem. And I promise you, who's ever listening, that is playing out in how your client is showing up in that session uh, when they feel like, holy mackerel, this therapist just did me a favor. Let me be good, kind. I don't want to be angry. Let me bring the parts of myself that are more aggressive or frustrated. Those have to stay out because this therapist is being nice to me. Right. Or these feelings that actually came up in a session that I had 
where a client said, you know, I don't want to disappoint you. And yes. that that was, I believe, in some way connected also to the fact that in, with that particular client, you know, my my usual rate is not in, in play. Yeah. And, you know, it's until I heard you talk about that, I really hadn't had those conversations about my fees or adjusted fees. And it's there, like you said, <laughs> every little kernel there is so filled with therapeutic information. And certainly there's a possible therapeutic rabbit hole, but if we're not touching yes. it at all, that's incredibly problematic. Absolutely. Everybody's being nice. And you know what it makes me think about is the clients who come to see us in some form or another are struggling with that elephant in the room when they were growing up. There was an elephant in the room that nobody was talking about. Nobody could touch. I got goosebumps even just thinking about it because we know this experience. Yeah. And then they come to us as therapists and we're doing all this deep work and we're really helping them. What we're not doing is talking about the elephant in the room right between us that's not being touched. And in, in a way, it's a reenactment of this trauma that they experienced long ago. Absolutely. And how are we modeling addressing those elephants if we're not talking about it? And even if it had nothing to do with their money stories or their money yes. mindsets, it's so relevant for, for bringing those topics up. You know, I worked in in LA, in a community mental health agency, as I think many people yes. in private practice kind of had done. And it was interesting because those clients were all Medicare and Medicaid clients. And so there were discussions at that site about what happens when people don't pay at all out of pocket mm -hmm. and how invested are they? And you know, looking at some of the literature about even if they pay a very, very nominal fee, does that actually increase investment? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about your thoughts about that, that topic. I know you've worked in community mental health agencies yeah. also. That's a really good question. I've found only one um, article I've read so far that talks about this idea that the amount a client pays does not indicate how invested they are or how much work they'll do in the, in the session. I'll say though, I, that, I, I was dubious about that. And I wondered, not the concrete amount, like whether they're paying 300 or uh, 30, but yeah. I, I imagine the personal investment they're making, the percentage of that in regards to their overall income, I, I imagine that does impact uh, how they show up to treatment. And I will say uh, it's very different in community mental health than it is in private practice for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. And it should be very different for all kinds of reasons. So it's really hard to extrapolate out from our, our clients who are working with in a mental health setting uh, or an agency. It's really hard to take that information and bring it over to a private practice setting where there's so much more choice. There's so much more, uh, they're choosing us versus being given us in a, in a agency setting. So there's a lot, it's hard to translate. And I think one of the problems therapists have when they go from working in community mental health to private practice is they're trying to parallel, bring over the same thoughts and thinking they were using in that mental health setting right. to their clients in private practice. And I don't think we can draw a clear line in that way at all. Right. You know, it brings to mind a client that I had, you know, in private practice, but long ago where I was asked by a colleague who works in a hospital setting, can you please, please, please see this person? They have mm -hmm. zero money, not even money to get 
to the bus to get to you kind of situation. But your approach would fit them very well, et cetera. And so I agreed to see them. And here I am thinking, yeah, I'm doing a nice thing for this family that (laughs) needs help, right? But then inevitably, perhaps, the complications of their lives were not a great match for a private practice clinician. And it was very difficult to say to myself, you know, to, to be honest with myself and say, okay, are there feelings of frustration that come up when they cancel at the last minute because they didn't actually have the bus fare that day or something came up or, you know, the, this family that finds himself in crisis regularly. And so at a certain point I have to say, well, am I actually doing this family a service by, by engaging in this way when I'm setting aside a time for them, I'm Mm. preserving a time for them that maybe that model doesn't actually work for them. And of course, I'm not saying that there are segments of the population that don't, can't work in private practice, but it just made me very aware that there are some times when just not charging a fee is not enough, or it's not the right way to go. That makes a lot of sense. I I hear about, you know, when when therapists in private practice are wanting to slide their scale or give back by uh, in that way in their business, they're thinking about their agency job and the people they worked with there or their group practice. And what they're not realizing is that that agency or that nonprofit is getting money from other sources, whether it's the government, whether it's donors, there's a whole network of people paying for those sliding scale people. Uh, which doesn't happen. You could set that up in your private practice, but that's not what's happening in private practice. So, so often, again, therapists are equating, oh, my private practice, I have to give back, but they're not really taking the context into account. (laughs) That's exactly right. And you kind of alluded earlier to the fact that the reason that people maybe set sliding scale fees is not simply about generosity and kindness. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about that. What do you think about setting sliding scale fees and what what might be some of the other reasons going on there? Sure, I you know I uh, and I and I I will say this because I'm a person who was very conflicted. Clearly, I come to this work from my own experience, as we all do. And so, really, when I went from uh, my grad school program and I worked in the clinic there to a two year postdoc, I was a master's level, but they took a couple masters level in this postdoc program, psychoanalytic program to a private practice internship. So I would take folks from one to the other. And so by the time I went into private practice, uh, half my caseload was filled with uh, pretty low fee folks. Right. And so then I'm in this dilemma of, oh, I'm an adult in the world now. I'm not a student. And for me personally, I wasn't 22. Like I have to have a life. I live in San Francisco. Uh, and my values around, I really love working with these people. I really want to give back really came into a uh, uh, conflict with a stark reality of I'm an adult in the world who now has $40,000 of student loans at no retirement. And I have to have an office and a home to live in. So right. I, I, I think that there's, um, I, I want to help therapists before they're in the position of, Oh no, I filled my practice with sliding scale clients who I love, but now I have to have a business. And I really, I, you know, if therapists want to slide their scale, um, fine, more power to them. I think there are a lot of room to do that. And I think it's great. I, I had a lot of meaning from working with folks who were not paying $300 per session. And um, we really recommend you do it the other way around. So you set up your practice 
with full premium fees where you're really taken care of. You're not having to work 30 hours a week. Maybe you're working 15 hours a week, making 175 or 200,000. And that gives you plenty of time to see sliding scale clients if that's something you want to do. But we don't build our practices or build our businesses in a way that actually won't work for us to create a a sustaining uh, long-term practice. It's a recipe for disaster to start with sliding scale folks. I like the way you framed that. And I think that's how I now operate, you know, 15 years in or whatever it Mm -hmm. is. But I think, as you said, there's this mindset for a lot of people of, I'm just building my practice. So I've got to take anyone who comes my way or who calls me. And so if that means this person says, oh, I can't pay X dollars, then they start with, okay, what do you, what do you pay? Or, you know, having... Like I know that in the beginning when I started on my actual intake form or or a screening form, actually, not even when we started, but there was questions about sliding scale fee. Like I'm I'm putting it out there. And, you know, I don't do that now. Now, I might make a choice based on what my current schedule looks like, what my time looks like, what my income currently is. I can kind of walk backwards into that and say, okay, yeah, I can have a conversation with this person because it fits with me clinically. I feel like I have something to offer and I am, it's not going to lead to resentment or frustration if they yes. don't show her this because I'm covered. I've, I've got what I want covered. But I do think a lot of therapists do exactly what you say, kind of build from the ground up using that sliding scale model yes. and try to take it from there. And they, they, they so often, I, I spoke with a therapist uh, recently, actually on a, on a podcast that I record, and she was saying um, she, when she would try to state her full fee, if a client said, oh, I wavered at all, her, she would say, okay, what, whatever you, you can pay. And so she was equating, oh, there's nobody out there in the world who can pay you know, 160 per session, or they're not going to pay me 160 per session. So I don't actually believe it's possible to have a full fee cash pay practice, as opposed to getting clear that, yes, it is actually possible. um, And there are uh, mechanisms you can put in place, strategies you can do to start there. And then you can slide if you want to. I'm a black woman, biracial woman, uh, grew up, neither of my uh, parents went to college. Uh, So really coming from a place of a woman, a person of color, working class background, there are all kinds of stories we get about what we are allowed to have in the world, how much money we're allowed to make, and all kinds of stories about narratives that we should just be giving. We should just give out of the goodness of our hearts because that's what women do. That's mm-hmm. what people of color do. So it's, there's a lot pressing down on us when we're starting in private practice that's telling us you have to start with sliding scale or you should just start with low fees because that's what people like us are supposed to do. So it's no wonder we don't know how to start with a $200 uh, fee and believe that it's possible for us to get it. Exactly. And you've talked, I know, in your podcast and in other places about how it's it's not unique perhaps to therapists, but certainly it is a therapist mindset. We don't go to the chiropractor and the chiropractor no. says, are you sure you can afford my fees? Maybe I can reduce it. You know, that's right. my lawyer has never said, you know what, let's just give you a, a 20% discount. And, and if they did, I, I think the idea is like, my first thought was, oh, but wouldn't it be nice if your lawyer said that? But then I thought, no, because we would be thinking, at least I would, wait, if I'm not paying this in money, there's some other way that I'm having to pay this person for their time. Right. And I think that's the reality is if we, out of the quote unquote kindness of our heart, 
slider scale, it is not uh, free. That client is going to be paying you. If it's not in money, they're going to be paying you in some other way. Right. And if we're not aware of that, and if we're not having conversations about that, that's a problem. Exactly. That's exactly it. And I know that some therapists have a fear of charging more than the going rate, or especially charging more than maybe their old supervisor does or or some, you know, esteemed colleague does. What do you say to some of the therapists you work with who say, like, I can't charge more than my old supervisor? That's crazy. I'm 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 smiling widely. Let me ask you before, you know, I, I like to turn these questions around sometimes. Yeah. When you hear a therapist who says, I can't charge more than my own therapist or my supervisor, that's crazy. What do you think is going on in their minds when they say that? I think, again, there's a lot of insecurity and there's not a lot of recognition of what personal value that that they bring Mm -hmm. to the table. And there's still, I think, a student mindset for a lot of therapists that kind of sticks around for a long time. And and also, I think that it triggers a, you know, this thought of like, if someone found out that I'm charging more than this person who's been in the field forever, they're going to be like, who the, you know, fuck do you think you are? Like, <laughs> oh, I like that you swear. I didn't know we could like, do that. What, Absolutely. Why, why do you think that you can charge more than this person? And so I think that that may be going on for a lot of people. I love it. So you brought in a couple of really important points there. The, the arbitrary nature of how, because we have, again, because we haven't been given education or tools around this, the arbitrary nature of how we set, set our fees. So, okay, my supervisor chart is 150 and she's been doing this for 30 years. So let me start at 100. All that's arbitrary. We don't know anything about our supervisor's personal life. We don't know how she came up with that fee. We, we can't assume it was based on uh, reason and logic and math and the reality yeah. of her financial situation. So we don't actually know. So that's arbitrary. And then two, uh, dealing with colleague shade. So, oh my gosh, what are my colleagues going to think? Uh, I'm, I'm too big for my britches. If I start out with this uh, exorbitant, in, my, you know, in their minds, fee, full fee that actually takes care of me, I'm going to get ostracized from my community. And we therapists do a very good job keeping each other in place, yeah. uh, in our places. And I think about that a lot in terms of um, the patriarchy, how much therapist, the therapist profession has internalized um, Men make money. Jeff Bezos, he deserves to make a, a billion dollars. Right. Women, we, we deserve to maybe make $50,000 if we're lucky. So then we're looking around at our, the people who are following in their footsteps who have also internalized, we can't make money as women, as people of color. So let's all keep the ceiling real low. And if anyone bumps up, has the audacity to bump up beyond that ceiling, we're going to chop them off. You know, we're going to chop them off at the legs and cut them mm. out. We, we do that with each other. And I want to, I'm really passionate about breaking that cycle. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, even for myself, I've had a colleague say to me in the past, like, well, what you do in these particular realms, whether it was an assessment, a specific thing, or, you know, some kind of niche that I have. And they're like, but what you do is is very niche. And not a lot of people do that. So why aren't you factoring that into your rate. Mm. And I find that, I don't know, I think because certain aspects of my practice are second nature to me in a way, like, yes, yes, so I do happen to have this knowledge in this area, but I forget sometimes that not everyone has that same knowledge in that area. They might have 
their own set of skills in a different area. But I kind of take for granted that yeah. that I might have a skill set that not everyone has equally and that that should be reflected in my fees. And so I appreciated her saying that. And probably initially I was like, no, no, no. And then I kind of go back and do the math and think, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you see the numbers, yes. I think I think that's a big part of this is we, again, we think we look around and, and I love your imposter syndrome guest who was talking about this. Um, we look around and we look for like, what are all the reasons I could possibly charge more? Oh, oh I haven't been doing it very long. So that has to be a little less. Mm-hmm. And my niche, I don't know how niche that is. So let me charge a little less as opposed to uh, actually looking at the reality of our financial situation. And we have a, a fun with fees calculator where we, we walk therapists through this. But what are your expenses? Uh, what, how much do you need to be making to save for retirement, to pay off your student loans, to go on vacation, to uh, take violin lessons, to give to this cause that you're really passionate about? Like, what is the reality of your current life and your dream life? And then your fees are set based on that. Right. And if you're not, if that says your fee needs to be 250 per session, and you're like, I don't know if I'm good enough. Well, then we say get good enough. And yes. one of the ways to get good enough is to charge 250 and figure out what does it take to be a therapist? How do I have to market? How do I have to show up in the clinical room yeah. in order to charge 250? Don't wait until you feel all those feelings to charge because then you're never going to be charging that fee. I promise you. Yeah. You got to up your game. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm smiling because I had always planned to do private practice, and my plan was always driven by the fact that I had hoped to have children, which I now do, Uh, and uh that I had hoped very much to only work when they were in school. And that had always been my plan, and I feel very privileged and fortunate to have been able to enact that plan. And it is helpful that I have a spouse who, you know, earns an income that allows me the flexibility to do that. Um, But that would always have been my plan. And Mm. I do find that I get pushback sometimes from colleagues, sometimes clients, when I set boundaries about my time Mm. and, and related me my fees in a way. Because again, like you say, my fees are set in such to be able to be sustainable for me when I'm seeing 15 clients a week and that's it. Right. And and I'm okay with that, yes. you know, but, but not everyone else is. And had clients say to me or inquiries about working with me where they've said, well, but you telling me that you don't have one more hour in the week to work with me? And I'd say, yes, that is what I'm telling you. Yes. But I'm happy to help you find some names of people that you can, that may have some space for you. But it can be hard to hold those boundaries at all. And then when you add the layer of money to that, mm. it's just so fraught, as you said, from the beginning. One of the episodes of your podcast, it's called The Money Sessions, right? And yes. one of the episodes that really almost literally knocked me down <laughs> was the conversation with the clinician you had. I don't remember her name, but she had said that a client told her that he couldn't or she or he couldn't afford her new fees. And rather than just saying, okay, or referring out, she said, okay, next time you come, bring in your bills, bring in your finances, and we're (laughs) going to look at them together. And how that uncovered this whole world of hidden challenge and problem and um, 
and issues for that client. And my mind was blown away. I was like, do I have the guts and the <laughs> the confidence to say that to a client in session? But boy, should I, because clearly yes. that was the outcome. And that I, I truly think, oh, if that had been me in that session, I'm sure I would have missed that opportunity. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that is very powerful. And one of the things, even though we therapists work in the realm of um, symbolism and the complexity and nuances of all aspects of our lives and our clients' lives, when it comes to money, we get very concrete. Oh, yeah. this is bad. Oh, this is good. And if you can start loosening that up a bit, this is exactly what happens. You start realizing, oh my goodness, look at the meanings within this transfer of money between us or why this client can't pay. If we actually go down that road, take a look at that elephant, we're going to find all kinds of things about this client's relationship to him or herself, themselves, uh, their partners, their families, their internal lives. It's not just money, pay me or don't. It's a rich web of just all kinds of unconscious material that behooves us to take a look at. That's it. All the more reason these things should be taught in grad school. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm curious about your thoughts. And I I think I know the answer, but about sort of making small incremental fee adjustments versus like this big jump to a premium fee that that you feel good about, even if it makes you a bit uncomfortable. That's interesting. What do you think? My th- you have an idea of what I'll say. I-, I might surprise you. What do you imagine I might say to this? I think that <laughs> your point would probably be about it would depend on where they're valuing themselves to begin with. And, you know, where I mean, that's how I would take it would be if someone's charging premium fees, but it hadn't been adjusted in a while, then an mm-hmm. incremental change might make sense. But I think. I don't know. Maybe I've jumped to assumptions. I've heard so many of your students make these pretty sizable jumps and you helping them feel really confident about those jumps. So, and those clearly paying off in not just financial, but clinical ways. That's right. So So, yeah, I I will say both and right. Those it's funny when, especially the program is now a year, but it used to be five weeks. My idea wasn't to have everyone jump up to 200 per session and, you know, have all their clients have these conversations with all their clients. But sometimes depending on the cohort, there would be this movement and everybody (laughs) would start doing this. And I'd be like, Oh, hold on folks. Hold on. Um, And I, I do think it really, it really depends. And the most important consideration comes back to what is the reality of this therapist's need? Uh, Are there other sources of income? I love working. We have um, a lot of mom breadwinners. Uh, We have certainly had therapists who are widowed, their spouses died. So now they've suddenly become the sole breadwinner. So when we have women who are the sole breadwinners, you know, they have to make different decisions than yeah. someone who's maybe in a partnership or somebody who comes from some measure of family, money and support. So I, I, as much as I, um, I wish we could all keep seeing our sliding scale or our insurance clients forever and slowly incrementally raise. Sometimes when we look at the reality of a therapist situation, they cannot do that. They cannot sustain their, their life, their health, their well-being while continuing to uh, raise up slowly. So I would say both and uh, yeah. incremental, going up incrementally, but being very honest about what that looks like for you. Uh, and then that might be in combination with uh, jumping up high 
with any new people who come in to your door. Exactly. And that, I think, had been the, the approach that I had taken a while back, which was I jumped it up for new clients, having yeah. recognized that my fee had been sort of too low for what I needed it to be, and then just gradually built it up for my current clients. So it was like a kind of a combo approach as well. Yeah. Many clinicians, both inside my practice, outside of my practice, feel a lot of guilt about where their practices are located, the kind of Mm. clientele that it attracts. And in the context of Black Lives Matter movement, there is a spotlight being put on accessibility, including access to mental Mm. health services. And in addition, there's a disproportionately low number of Black therapists. So certainly we've had conversations and continue to have conversations about, well, what does that mean for us in private practice? And what do we do about that? How do we shift that? Does a shift need to be made? And so on. So what are your thoughts about the fact that people may feel this responsibility to lower their fees, to increase accessibility, whether it be to any marginalized or or minority group? Sure. This is so complex. Um, And I love that you're asking, by the way. Yes. Um, (laughs) I think something about many therapists, and this is shown in the, some of the literature around our family of origins, where we are the uh, one who's mediating conflict, uh, keeping the peace in the family, uh, trying to, noticing what's going on and trying to find ways to speak to it so the adults can come back to take care of us. So in, in one way, it's very care, we're really good caretakers, very insightful about what's happening in, in relationships. And this can also really tip over into being a savior. I'm only a little kid, and yet I'm the one who's navigating my parental relationships. What a, I'm amazing. So it could be both and. That's also incredibly terrifying. Now, when we bring this to our private practices, it's very easy to become, oh, I'm going to be the therapist who's, you know, helping all black lives by taking on a sliding scale person. First of all, if you're a white therapist taking on a person of color and sliding your scale as a way to give back, that is very fraught. There are all Mm -hmm. kinds of complications there. It's very different if you're, uh, let's say, a black woman therapist who wants to see black women in her practice and is like, how do I become accessible? Right. Uh, So if we think about what's the racial construct, but even that aside, um, it is a fantasy to think that we can actually have any impact in the world with social justice, with Black Lives Matter, with equity in any way by seeing five people in our practice on a sliding scale or even 30 <laughs> over the course. Like that's a fantasy. It's right. very omnipotent. So I'm, I'm very um, excited about, uh, it's very important to me to think with therapists about how can you actually give back? What do you have to do in your practice? So if you're seeing 15 clients a week and you have five extra hours a week, where can you actually put that energy? Where could you put money to actually make a difference with our, uh, uh, with the larger society? Right. And I think that's a thread that runs through all of your work from what I've seen is that, you know, sliding scale fees or pro bono work is just a sliver of a possibility in terms of how to do good or give yeah. back in a way. And that, Many times, society as a whole would be better off if we are 
not letting ourselves off the hook because we offer sliding yes. scale fees to people and saying, no, forget that. I'm going to, you know, I charge my clients what I need to, to have this other time that I can now dedicate in a more meaningful way to whatever that might be, you know, whatever group support, politics, education, whatever it is. Yes. I, I love that you say that, that it's, it's not about make your fees and too bad everyone deserves to make what they want to make it's about no it's being intentional about setting those fees and with your time and then you can decide how you contribute in meaningful ways and and i'm going to add this is this may be you know a little controversial for folks i'm <laughs> going to add this extra layer of when somebody comes to us and our heartstrings are tugged and we're like oh we're going to slide our scale because we want to give back to this person that is uh, akin to maybe walking down the street and you see a homeless person asking for money and you feel guilty and anxious and, oh, no, I'm bad about the state of the world. Here's a buck. And then you yeah. feel good. Oh, right. oh, I did my work for the day. You're not doing anything to address the system. And so right. I really want to challenge therapists to be thoughtful when you're sliding your scale and patting yourself on the back. How is that relieving a temporary anxiety that allows you to go on and continue living in your way that's ignoring the larger systemic issues? Well, exactly. And not only that, as you pointed out, it may actually be perpetuating the system yes, further. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So as you said, it's complex, but at the same time, it's it's not enough as as we both know for people on Instagram to be putting up that picture or the yes. you know, oh retweeting gosh. of something, but taking meaningful action that's not just, okay, so I can pat myself on the back because I see this percentage of clients in a no-fee, low-fee manner or giving back in this small way. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about the barriers that, that clinicians encounter in raising their fees. What are some of the mistakes that you've seen clinicians make when they set up their practices? Maybe aside from the sliding scale fee issue, what are some of the broader fee and money related mistakes that clinicians make? Sure. We can even start with the number one mistake of not, e not being clear about what your financial situation is to start. Um, working with an accountant who, or an accounting company who's saying, all right, let's see what you, what you need to be making month over yeah. month in order to do well. What are your goals one year, five years, 10 years out? Let's work backwards from there. So number right. one, I would say uh, uh, avoiding looking at your financial situation when setting up your business, because it is a business that is supposed to be providing your income. Um, the second mistake I will, uh, I've seen therapists make, and, it, and it's related to this one, because we're not looking at the reality of our financial situation, we're setting our fees based on um, the, the quote-unquote market, but that's not actually based on any market because we're not doing extensive market research. That often means for therapists, what is my therapist charging? What did my supervisor charge? What is my friend charging? And then setting your fee based on that, which yeah. is, again, not related to anything having to do with the reality of your, of your financial needs. Those are two. I could go on. <laughs> Another one that comes to mind is, and it kind of relates to you and your program, which is people not investing in their practices. So what I mean by that is, yes, people do their continued education, you know, mm -hmm. CEUs that, that are required, but actually investing in 
the business side of it. So learning about fees, like with a program like yours, Lean In Make Bank, or learning about marketing or learning about, you know, how to reach more people. So for example, I'm in the process of setting up digital courses. And one of the things that I've seen is that when people find out that I've been doing this thing, so I have the podcast, I have my work, and I've been slowly trying to build these digital courses. And people will say, like, do you just not like your clinical work anymore? (laughs) Of course, I like my clinical work. But I also like spending time with my kids. I like having flexibility. I like not worrying about my finances if something should happen to my husband's job. You know, I like a lot of things. (laughs) Yes. And I also like working smarter, not harder. And yes, it's funny because if I say to people, I'm doing it so that I can reach more people. I find people are like, oh, yes, that that makes a lot of sense. You know, my practice has been full for years and Mm. it allows me to reach more people. People are okay with that. But as soon as I say something like, yeah, I would like to work less and earn more, they are like, oh, <laughs> like yeah. it gets quiet. Yes. Oh, but, my gosh. Yes. But what's wrong with that? There's no. Absolutely. And you know what? Even in this conversation, in the back of my mind, I've had a little like uh, a little twinge of the part I'm not emphasizing is. Um, we as women, as therapists, as, and I have men in my program too, always a couple men sneak in there and they're always from working class backgrounds. We uh, also can be making money because how wonderful is it to be making money, right? Yeah. And so when we think about money so often, we're talking about therapists' desire and therapists are terrified of desire. We don't want to talk about it. We think it's just taboo. It's antithetical to what we do. And so again, a large part of talking about money, yes, give back. Yes, do good work in the world. But all of that hinges on your ability to receive and experience desire and go after your desire. And so we know I wasn't going to talk about that because that makes therapists so uncomfortable. But yes, (laughs) even if a therapist wants to make bank, and work 15 hours, they come into my program simply so that they can indulge in living for the first time in their lives and potentially for the first times in generations because they come from families where there's been no opportunity to breathe and sit and take in power to you. Yes, it's your turn. It's your turn to live. That's it. Exactly. I've been working since I was 12 years old, Um, quite, quite literally. And being able to be responsible for my own finances has always been important to me. And I enjoy being able to sit and look at my practice and look at my work and say, how am I meeting my personal goals? How am I meeting my goals for my family? How am I living in connection and alignment with the values that I have? And you know, if I am, and I've had to tweak that, it's not perfect by any means. And I keep having to evaluate that. But if I find that my, my time is not being valued at the point that I feel like I need it to be valued at, then I need to look at that and I need to shift something. I love how intentional you are with that practice. And it sounds like something you do regularly and consistently, which is the only way to eventually have the life we want. And I'll say even sooner rather than later, have a life that actually works for us. Exactly. You have given so much information. So your Lean and Make Bank program is out there. I don't know if you're enrolling. I know it's a year-long program, but 
How can people find more information about that? I, of course, will link your information in the show notes, but just for people listening, where can people find out more about that program? Absolutely. If you go to uh, heytiffany.com, I got to change that address, by the way, that website. But for now, heytiffany.com, if you go to forward slash us, you can learn more about the program, get on the wait list for when we're open for enrollment, and then we'll send you information at that time. That's great. And your podcast is The Money Sessions, and it's so, so valuable. And I've loved um, every episode that I've listened to. I want to end by asking you the best advice you've heard from a supervisor or colleague. Is there anything that comes to mind for you? That's interesting. Uh, Yeah, actually, this is one that we talked about all throughout this show. Um, A supervisor who was the same supervisor who said, start with a sliding scale until you build up and then in 10 years, you'll have your business. I'm like, "Ah, not all of us have 10 years, sir, to establish our businesses. But he also was the one who blew my mind with this idea of, um, giving, but you do not have to give back in your practice. You, and, and in fact, he said, your financial security, your financial well-being should not, um, uh, should not be, let me say it the other way. Um, the, the charity you do in the world, the good work you do in the world, the giving back should not be tied to your financial stability and well-being. And that blew my mind. He was actually saying, do not give back in that way. Your business is your business. And you're uh, giving back and making a difference in the world is separate from that. Don't get them confused. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. That really revolutionized how I, how I thought about all of this. That's phenomenal. And the other segment that I usually do is the, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. But I feel like that's what this entire conversation has been about. <laughs> <That's right. That's laughs> you know, talking about money, having these conversations yes. with clients about what the money means what it represents in our relationship and in our therapy sessions. And I'm very grateful to you, Tiffany, for all that you've shared. And I know it will be helpful to everyone listening. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tamara, for having me on the show. It's been fun. And your podcast is excellent. Oh, thank you. For today's lessons from the couch, I really came away with a lot from this conversation with Tiffany. And in particular, the conversation about the possible reenactments that are happening in the therapy room when we don't discuss the elephant in the room. And in this case, the elephant may be related to our fees or or an adjustment that's being made to our fees. But the parallel process that's happening when we don't acknowledge that and what happens therapeutically when we leave things unspoken and unsaid because they're too hot to touch and what that means for our therapeutic relationship. That was a powerful piece of insight that Tiffany shared, and I'm grateful to her for sharing that. I also really appreciate that Tiffany wants everyone to own their right to earn what they're worth and not feel shame and guilt over it. And in particular, that that there may be even more meaningful ways of giving back and contributing to meaningful change in society that doesn't have to just come and maybe better served outside of the therapeutic office. I appreciated all that Tiffany shared and hope that it was helpful for you in your practice as well. I think our time is done for today, but I look forward to continuing this conversation next time.